Well, welcome back to Truck Tech, everyone. Good to see you on a Wednesday afternoon. We are coming to you from Michigan like we often do. Sometimes we don't, but part of the show today will actually take us back out to California again. But um, before we bring Thomas Healy, who is the founder and CEO of Hylion Holdings, or Hylion in second reference, uh, onto the show, uh, we want to go through just a few headlines. We've actually seen some news come in this week. Um, let's start with Cummins. Cummins, which uh, a year ago closed two pretty big deals, one very big deal to acquire uh, Meritor uh, for $3.7 billion and then about $205 million to buy the commercial vehicle uh, unit of Siemens, is back in the buying uh, stage again. They have agreed to buy two plants from Farnit, Far, I'm going to mess this one up, Farnit, uh, for. Forencia, thank you. Forencia, which is uh, uh, doing um, exhaust system work with Cummins. Uh, Cummins is going to buy the plants both in its hometown of Columbus, Indiana, and then one in the Netherlands. Volvo Group, um, big number from them this week in Sweden. They announced the purchase by Wholesome of up to a thousand electric trucks. This would be uh, the biggest number so far that we've seen in terms of a single order. This will carry out through the end of the decade for uh, the company, but it is also showing that we're seeing more and more bigger orders. So if you remember back in May, a year ago, uh, Daimler Truck North America announced that Cisco was going to buy um, uh, 800, up to 800 um, eCascadia trucks. Finally, how many pieces of Lego do you think it would take to build a replica of a Mac Anthem truck? Okay, I'll tell you, it's a million. Takes a million pieces to do that. There you go. Look at that. Isn't that something? This truck uh, actually was built in Australia, uh, in Brisbane, uh, where uh, Mack Truck is celebrating its 60th anniversary uh, right now uh, in terms of assembling trucks down there. This is uh, quite a project, and uh, we got a bunch of photos. We'll see some more in Friday's newsletter. But uh, this is a, a, a tribute, really, to Mack um, down there. And, uh, uh, you know, we just thought it was great to get a chance to look at the finished product. Okay, let's go on to, uh, let's go on, let's get to the show, shall we? Bring on Thomas Healy. Thomas, it is great to see you. Saw you at the uh, ACT Expo, of course. We're going to spend a little bit of time uh, out there together in the show today, but that comes a, a little later, I guess, by way of introduction. You know, you're a regular on our air. You know, we're, you're a fan favorite, I think, or at least you're a favorite of ours. And, uh, you know, from, from the time that, uh, uh, you know, you were just getting started uh, as a public company, um, you know, you've, you've been on, you've been wonderful about, uh, you know, sharing what's going on with the company and, uh, you know, pushing the, the whole hyper truck activity. Um, it is interesting that you, I didn't realize this until I looked today, you have five patents of your own. You also, um, and we know you were the puncher. We did not know, however, that you're now a member of the board of trustees at Carnegie Mellon, which is pretty cool. Just since May, I, I am. Um, yeah, <laughs> that's great. I mean, I don't think you have to take football with you. I think they'll probably have you without that now, right? <laughs> they they don't want me uh, going back to my football years. Yeah, that's uh, that's well behind me. But uh, yeah, no, I uh, was uh, very honored to be invited to join the board of trustees of Carnegie Mellon. Had my first meeting a few weeks ago. Got to go to commencement. The uh, the big changes as opposed to sitting in the in the football stadium watching the speakers. Now you actually get to sit on stage when you're a trustee, which was pretty neat. Wow, that's pretty cool. Have you turned thirty yet? By the way, I did. Yeah, so I'm uh, okay. officially no longer a uh, an under thirty. So no more thirty under thirty awards or anything like that. Now okay. I'm in the forty under forty bracket. I was gonna <laughs> say you got the forty under forty. You've got a number of years to uh, 
to pull that off, I think. Anyway, welcome to the show. Great to have you. You know, I we we, we mentioned the ACT Expo, and I, and I just, before we get to what you and I did the walk around out there and had some fun with that, as well as I think some really informative stuff, I, wa- I want to ask you a little bit about the business. You know, it, 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 I went through the transcript for your earnings call uh, from last week or from the 10th, I guess. And, you know, there were a few questions I want to ask. I know some of these are going to be more difficult for you to answer simply because, you know, you can't go very far beyond what you told everybody. You can't just tell me something. You can whisper in my ear. Anyway, you can't you can't go very far. You can't go very far. I'm going to get into SEC trouble here. All right. So I'm going to count on you knowing how to stay out of that trouble. I might push you there. I don't know. Anyway, you know, on the call, you said that um, uh, there's some over-engineering in the Hypertruck ERX. And first of all, I'm going to let you explain what that is, the first version. But um, you said there may be some things you can do to, you know, pull some costs out and that kind of thing. You want to talk about that for a minute? Yeah. So as we tasked the team with going out and designing, developing the Hypertruck ERX, you know, safety critical was number one. Uh, you know, and then number two was make sure this product is robust and reliable and people aren't going to have uh, field failures and issues with it. Now, no doubt there are going to be things or will be learnings, but uh, we wanted to make sure the product was robust. With that, there were some things that were over-engineered. We found, you know, the uh, the capacity in the cooling system has more than maybe what we actually need. The uh, the actual sheet metal of some of the components is thicker than what is needed. The The design is more robust. So as you think about going from the first stage of having a safe, reliable system to then the next stage of let's look at areas where we can pull cost out of this system. It allows, allows you to redesign some of the components, make them you know less rugged uh, to pull some cost out, but obviously still meeting those thresholds of what the industry expects of you know a truck that uh, that isn't going to be broken down on the side of the road. Sure, sure. You know, it's interesting that you brought forward the actual uh, beginning of production. I remember a year ago, you know, you did have to step it back a year, but now you think you're going to uh, have some trucks ready to go in the third quarter, which is a, a quarter ahead of what you've been saying. But it's also interesting because you're you're, you're not going to do as many as you said. I think you originally indicated 210. Was that by the end of the first quarter? I'm not sure. Um, now you're looking at about 30. So um, this is this is a way, I guess, to you know save some money, conserve some cash. You don't have to buy a lot of parts if you're not at, you know finishing the assembly, right? Yeah, so uh, I can dive into a lot of details on this, but really, if we step back and look at what's going on in the market, um, you know, there Hylian is positioned well from a cash standpoint. We have uh, about three hundred eighty-five million on the balance sheet as we closed out last quarter. So, as you know, I mean, that's one of the big strengths we have compared to specifically some of our peer sets. And we want to make sure we use that cash wisely. Uh, as I shared on the earnings call, where we were a year or two ago, uh, the market was rewarding high revenue growth. Now, where we are today, the market is more rewarding path to profitability and making money on systems. So when we initially laid out the plans for rolling out these initial trucks, we were okay with taking some losses on them. Uh, and you know, frankly, we're still okay with taking some losses on them in the initial ones. But through that time, as we got those initial orders to where we are now, we've also seen some of our bill of material costs go up just thanks to supply chain, right? I mean, we're, our suppliers are seeing surcharges on air components, and then they're having to pass those on. So naturally, I mean, our look at it is, okay, well, we should take those price increases and also pass those on to our end customers uh, so that it doesn't put us in a position where we're just sitting there holding the bag, uh, losing you know, a significant amount of money on these, on these trucks. So that's the plan is, you know, a few different things. First is 
you're exactly right. We initially were thinking late 23 is when startup production would happen. We're pulling that to the left. We're actually going to start doing the initial builds in Q3. But as opposed to doing the, the hockey sti stick uh, growth ramp, we're going to go a little bit flatter. So as you mentioned, initially the plan was ship all 210 foundries trucks by the end of Q1 of 24. Now what we're saying is we're still going to start production or we're going to accelerate start of production in Q3 and we're going to ship 30 trucks by the end of the year. So a little bit different time frames there. Uh, and we're going to continue to ship as we go into 24 and plans to ship hundreds of trucks in 24. Uh, but we haven't put clarity yet on what exactly 2024 is going to look like. But the team's you know rallying around, let's get the initial 30 trucks out there by the end of this year. Right. Um, who um, Who is doing those builds? So you mentioned on the call that uh, you really didn't want to be assembling a lot more trucks. Um, who are you working with to, to build these or assemble these first uh, 30? So initial plan is we're doing it at our location here in Austin, Texas. So Trucks are going to be produced on Peterbilt's uh, production line up in Denton, and then we're going to bring them down here. We're going to do the installation of the powertrain, uh, the full bring up of the system. Then they're actually going to go back to Denton. They're going to go through final end of line certification. The VIN is going to be put on the vehicle. And then from there, uh, you know, we'll work to get them to the customers. So uh, initial installs are happening here in Austin, but as we've laid out on our roadmap, it's going to be you know, start here, then look to utilize mod centers. And then from there, long-term goal is you actually get pulled onto the production line at the OEM. Now, as you know better than I do, that's a, you know, OEMs want to see you producing good quantities, having, uh, you know, strong, strong customer pull behind you, and then they'll look to pull you on the line. And so that's, that's our goal is we uh, were able to scale to get to that point. Well, that's pretty exciting about Denton because I was just in the plant a couple of weeks ago myself the first time. And, you know, that's it. And we saw and What's that? It's a pretty neat place, right? It's it a very nice manufacturer. Right? I mean, I realized that automated guided vehicles are not new in this industry, but the work that they're doing to really take what is a 43-year-old plant and, you know, uh, widen it out and, and, you know, a lot of things they're doing we don't need to go into. But it's fascinating to me that you are actually, you know, you're going to get essentially your glider from them and then you're going to you're going to install a powertrain and you're going to send it back. And the interesting part is that they're going to be doing the end of line validation, presumably for you, which I think is amazing. That's that's almost like having them build them, right? <laughs> it's uh, it's a step in the right direction or a big step in the right direction. Obviously, you know, when we started this journey, we were buying complete trucks, right, that had transmissions, drive shafts, conventional axles on them. And then we were ripping all those components out of the vehicle to then go put in electric solutions. Uh, so the, being able to avoid that, right, get a chassis that doesn't have any of the parts on it that we don't need, only has the, the things that we are going to continue to utilize, allows us to be more cost efficient, allows for quicker installation, and, you know, ultimately just a, a better end product going to the customer. Sure, sure. Well, it is exciting. And so your your mods are like, are those like Fontaine? And I think you had one there in Texas as well for kind of next stage. Is that right? That yeah. So uh, so we've previously mentioned Fontaine and then Lone Star, uh, which is up um, in Texarkana. Uh, but then we're also looking at other solutions as well. Uh, you know, if you, if you look at uh, Peterbilt's location, they've got CVS right next door. So we're looking at the different mod centers that are out there and trying to make sure that we're we're being as efficient as possible, right? And uh, sure. and obviously moving a lot of trucks around to different locations uh, is not the most efficient setup. So uh, so that's where we want to uh, streamline the installation process as much as we can. 
Right, right. You mentioned um, the founders, uh, the founders trucks, and I think you said uh, on your call you have eleven founders sort of companies that that are that are getting them. Um, you also said I think that you want to expand that number because, and I can only assume you can answer me or not, but I can only assume that's because some people have gotten a little skittish, you know, as costs have gone up, as the market is, you know, uh, the capacity is very loose right now, and things like that, and everybody's looking at their bottom lines. I, I would assume, and you can tell me if I'm right here, you, you want more founders companies because maybe the companies that you had aren't going to take all 210 of those those trucks. I, I don't know that you can even get there, but I have to ask. Yeah, no, absolutely. So uh, as we shared on the call, we're going to be going back and we have actually already started this process going back to those fleets and we're going to be passing on some of these price increases. And so we need to get through those dialogues to see what the response is and uh, and then we'll be able to to share more on that end. But more the increasing the number of fleets was more driven by, you know, kind of the philosophy of if we if we're only going to have 30 trucks by the end of this year, just to take it to both ends of the extreme, would you rather ship 30 trucks to 30 fleets or would you rather ship 30 trucks to one fleet? I would much rather do the 30 trucks to 30 fleets because then as we're going to go scale up volume, then you have 30 fleets who have already experienced the technology hopefully have very positive things to say, hopefully are at a point where they're saying, I want to buy more. And then we'll be able to, you know, as we go into 24, those hundreds of trucks we'll be building, we'll be able to deploy those with those fleets. The risk with shipping 30 trucks to to one fleet would be, let's say they decide that's all they want to adopt or that they only want to do a small order, or, you know, maybe they aren't, maybe the technology is not the right fit for them. Uh, you know, that kind of is potentially shooting yourself in the foot. So we have a great batch of the the initial uh, fleets that we've been working with, but we want to also bring in other ones if we can as well, so that they can experience it. And then as we're scaling volumes, we've got a stronger cus- or a broader customer base already set up. Well, it makes perfect sense what you say, because most people are buying ones and twos, fives and tens of trucks now. I'm thinking of pure battery electric trucks. Um, they're not going out. I mean, there are exceptions, but they're not going out and saying, you know, give me uh, all you can right this minute because you've got infrastructure, which again, you don't have the infrastructure problem that, that a battery electric does right. because you can, you know, uh, you make your own electricity. Um, now I think what we need to do is go back out to California, you and I, and I think we need to take a look at, uh, at the new, new thing that you've got going. Let's go take a look. Welcome back to Truck Tech. Thomas Healy is a regular and a friend of the show. We wanted to take a few minutes and walk around the Carno. And do not think Carnac, do not think Johnny Carson, that those of you old enough to know. This is Carno. This is technology that highly unpurchased from uh, General Electric uh, in 2022 with the eye towards a second version of the Hypertruck ERX. Thomas, great to see you. Let's take a walk. Thanks for having me on once again. All now, right. so as you teed it up, we've got our range extender electric powertrain, right? And what we're bringing into production later this year is the Hypertruck ERX. It's the natural gas range extender. At this show, it's the first time we unveiled the Hypertruck Carno. We've spoken a lot about it, but no one's actually seen it up until this show. So one of the first things you'll notice is the hood is different, right? You've got now this uh, slant because we redesigned it so we could get more airflow through the radiator because we no longer have a generator under the hood. And you have essentially a frunk, is that correct? It's uh, as when we had it open earlier, someone was like, I could fit my golf gloves in there. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's it's a frunk. Okay, all right. <laughs> With, without the storage. Yeah, yeah, okay, gotcha. <laughs> but then now we've got the Carno generator down here and uh, we've heard uh, it's a fuel cell, it's a flux capacitor, it's uh, yeah, who knows, right? But 
what it is, it's a linear heat generator. So what that means is you've got a piston rod set up that's oscillating back and forth inside this cylinder. And then the middle here is an electric motor that sits there and produces electricity as you're driving. So like in the Hypertruck ERX, where you use that Nat Gas Cummins engine to produce the electricity, now the Carnot is what's actually providing power to the batteries. But the fuel agnostic, I think is what you called it. Yeah. What's the most likely fuels that you would use in there when, when you're starting? What do you use it now in testing? Yeah, so, uh, so actually this truck, which I think as far as I'm aware is the first of a kind, it actually has both hydrogen and natural gas storage on the same vehicle. Okay. So what are fleets gonna use? I mean. The reality of are they really going to get a mixed fuel truck? Probably not. The Carnot is fine with it, right? But it really comes down to the tanks. So we see hydrogen as being a very viable fuel and that gas being very viable. And then there might even be different applications, industries where propane has been conventionally used. This can run on that as well. You also can run this on conventional fuels like diesel, gasoline. It, it really doesn't care what you're putting in. It's going to take do, it and make heat. Do you need to flush it between uses? You do not. And you can actually go from running straight on that gas to straight to hydrogen to even do a mixture of the two. And the software all controls how much fuel it needs to be brought in based on what fuel it's running on. So let me ask the question in a different way. What's the maintenance on something like that? Yeah. So. It's, uh, it's designed to be extremely low maintenance. So heat engines, one of the key applications that's been used in over the past or many decades is actually in satellites. Reason being is once you deploy a satellite, you can't go up there and service it and maintain it. So there's actually no routine maintenance that we think we can think of that you would need on. There's one moving part, oscillates back and forth. It oscillates on air bearings. So basically we're hovering with a gap of air in between the uh, the rod and the-, the Like an air gap computer? Uh, <laughs> little different. Okay. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, you've got air bearings. So there's extremely low friction or close to no friction, but uh, we've got a great um, uh, uh, material on the inside that we do have a piston ring seal, but they, we're expecting that to last, you know, by far the life of the, the genset. So, the only time you really need to maintain it is if something were to break. Life of this system? Yeah, so we're targeting what would be the life of a truck. I mean, we're still in the development testing phases of it all, but uh, there's no reason why this shouldn't be able to uh, to live the life of the vehicle. A million miles. That's the target, yeah. So, so Thomas, this looks like it might have been a child's toy at some point. I know <laughs> it's bigger. not. <laughs> So this is one of the cylinders, right? So on the truck you just looked at, there's four cylinders. Each one of these produces about 50 kilowatts of electricity. So on the truck, we're at a 200 kilowatt output. Now, one of the very unique things is this is designed to scale based on the application. So if you think about the industry's used to six liter, nine liter, 12, 15, right? Different sizes of engines. But when you move from one to the other, it's like for an engine maker, that's a huge change. For us, if we want more power, we just add another cylinder. Right, or another two cylinders. So if we're looking at an over the road application, we're thinking four cylinders. Heavy haul, we're thinking six cylinders. Lighter duty vehicle, maybe only needs three cylinders. So that allows us to be able to supply a lot of the market, but without having to do total tear ups of what this actually is. What's the weight of a cylinder? What was one way? So we're targeting to get comparable power to an ex uh, internal combustion engine will be uh, in the same ballpark of weight. So, you know, this isn't really a weight savings focus. This is more about, it's got increased efficiency, it's fuel agnostic, and then from an emission standpoint, we're seeing significant decreases in emissions and is hydrogen capable where you're gonna have zero carbon emissions. Okay, so how does this thing work inside? 
Yeah, so in the middle here is an electric motor, a linear electric motor. Then you actually have a piston here and you have another one on this side. That's just shifting back and forth this whole time. Now, what most people think is, okay, well, the way it works is you explode a fuel beer, it pushes the piston this way, they do the opposite. You have to almost take everything you ever learned about internal combustion engines, throw it out the window because this is now a heat generator. So what happens is from here to the other end, the, the part's not there, but uh, to, to right past the cylinder, this is completely sealed. Inside of it is a working gas that our whole goal is we heat that working gas up. When gas gets hot, it expands. That's going to push the cylinder down or the pistons down this way. Then you do the reverse. But your, your sealed system never gets exposed to the fuel, to uh, the air coming in. That all happens out here. And the whole, the only thing we need to do is transfer the heat into the working gas. And then it starts oscillating back and forth. So it's not an internal combustion engine, but a lot of people get confused or think it is because it has some similarities. Right. And so the fuel that you're using, the fuel, the different fuels that you're using, do they go into each piston or do they go into? Yeah. So if you come around to the back here, so this is this is really the uh, one of the, the areas where we transfer the heat into the uh, the working fluid. So out here is where we react the fuel. We do flameless oxidation to convert the fuel into heat. So we don't really care if it's natural gas heating these up, if it's hydrogen, if it's diesel fuel. As long as we have something that we can react and produce heat, that's going to allow us to let this process start. Is there any extra heat generated that you have to manage from from these? So heat exchange is like that's the secret sauce of this whole thing so these cylinders here are actually uh, thermal capacitors so we can actually store heat inside so that as opposed to just dumping it out into the exhaust uh you know out, out into the air we actually can store it inside and then reuse it again on the next cycle Recyc so, recirculation recirculating heat yeah yeah yep. okay uh, so now we have a, a battery that's actually for storing heat as opposed to storing electricity now for the layman like me would that be comparable to regen braking kind of thing where you're reusing the heat so little different now so one of the issues with uh like let's take a fuel cell truck is if you're trying to go down a hill well you don't have an engine brake anymore right you have regen braking but then if your batteries get full you got a problem right right uh so with this what we can actually do is uh you can pump electricity into this and it actually becomes a chiller because we just do the opposite thermodynamic cycle so as opposed to heat we become cold and that actually burns off electricity so we kind of have an engine brake but it's a chiller as opposed to what you normally think of as an engine right well having no engineering training you've done a really good job of making it as simple as possible thomas healy thank you great Thanks stuff for, for truck tech yeah so Thomas, uh, I see some real interesting stuff here. This is what? Yeah, so these are actually some of the components of the generator. And you know, one of the things that we focus on is we want uh, a really compact system. Well, we found that if we use 3D printing or additive manufacturing, we can completely rethink how components are made. So let's take this for instance, which this is actually a heat exchanger. You could never produce a part like this through conventional practices. There's just no way to CNC, mill, lathe a part like this. But with 3D printing, it's now a new world of opportunities. And we actually designed our parts around 3D printing. So now when you think about heat exchangers, or for instance, this part here is actually the fuel injector. This is how the fuel comes in. We can rethink how we engineer these components, which allow us to get much better efficiencies and make the system a lot smaller. And with additive manufacturing, you can use any number of materials, whether it's 
you know, uh, metals obviously is, is yeah. a big thing. And what are these? Uh, what are these being uh, milled out of? Yeah, so we have, we have a mix of of uh, materials. So these are cobalt chromium. We have aluminum. We can do steel as well. So it's a a variety of uh, of what we make out of, and it all depends on what stresses that component's going to go through. Right. So if it's a component that's really involved in that heat transfer, it's going to get super hot. We're going to want to use something like a cobalt chromium. If it's more just there to hold some components, aluminum is great. Okay, so the, great, great tour, uh, Thomas. Listen, it has been great having you today. I want to uh, thank you for coming on. Also want to do a little shout out to Valentina Kalaman, who did that video for us. She works with you, and we really appreciate her help here. Um, folks, next week, we will be back with another show. We'll have Ali Javidan, who is the founder and CEO of a new, a truly new startup called Range Energy. They're working on an area for electrifying trailers rather than trucks. Um, so we'll hear some more about that next week. And uh, we will have a new newsletter on Friday for you. Um, looking at, of all things, buses. Uh, why buses? Well, you'll have to read and find out. Thank you all for joining us. Have a great week. I'm <laughs> sorry.